There is a legal term called bait and switch. Some of you understand bait and switch. You entice people for someone and then they get someone else. You just observe bait and switch, okay? <laughs> Greetings to every one of you. I am delighted to be here this morning and I am very excited about having the opportunity to share God's word with you. I believe in giving credit where credit is due and please hear me that this particular message is inspired by and dedicated to my mother-in-love, Dorothy Nelson. Let's warm up a little bit to the topic with some uh, motivational exercise. Uh, there is a concept called spiritual cause and effect. I think you know about it, but you may not have uh, termed it as such. It starts out with a premise that uh, something is true, and if something is true, it will cause or effect something else. Parents are really good at this. When I was growing up, my parents used cause and effect all the time. Uh, in terms of academics, my parents would say to me many times, if you just study more, what might have been the effect? Better grades. Yeah, you heard that one too from your parents. Okay, uh, let's, let's talk diet. My mother would look at me and she would say, if you eat more vegetables, you'll be healthier and stronger. Well, in the term of full confession, uh, I had a cause and effect that was just the opposite of both of those. And, and that's just because of, of who I am. But there is spiritual cause and effect as well. And I don't know if you dwell on this at all, but if I were to say to you, the closer you grow to God, what would you fill in the blank with regard to the effect? Can we just warm up to the task a little bit? The closer you grow to God, what? What would you say? Anybody. The closer you grow to God, what? The more you look like Christ. Who else has something that is an effect of the closer you grow to God? The more you'll be blessed. And what's in the back there? The more peace you'll have. Anybody else have an effect from the closer you grow to God? You get more of his love. What I'm trying to do is warm you up to this spiritual cause and effect, which I believe is true. And if you thought about it, all those things that you heard, plus much, much more, is the effect of growing closer to God. If that is so, then why would you not engage in a never-ending hunt for God, if in fact you believe that. All of us are hunters in a certain respect. You may not have considered yourself as a hunter, but we all are. There are things that we lose, misplace, desire to find, and we engage in hunts. Come back with me to a family vacation uh, when all of us were under one roof and we would go on car vacations and, and find us in, um, I can't even remember the location, some state and, and, and we had uh, flown into a city and rented a car. And we drove the car to some place, a, a pretty wilderness area, so we were pretty much secluded from everybody else. And uh, there we were, enjoying our vacation uh, with this rented car. And during that particular set of, uh, of hours, Brent lost, misplaced, 
forgot where the rental car keys were. Now, think what's going through the father of this family's mind. The vacation is doomed. <laughs> we have a rental car in a place that's not near any metropolitan city, and Brent has lost the keys to the car. Do you think I engaged in a hunt? Do you think that hunt was vigorous? Do you think that hunt was fervent? Do you think that hunt was desperate beyond measure? Well, I'm here to report that I found the keys, but that's the first thing that came to my mind with regard to a hunt. Are you hunters? Give me, give me some things that recently or in the past you hunted for. I'll just take a couple. What have you hunted for? Hunted for your wallet, okay. Who else was hunting for something? Glasses. Glasses, okay, something else. Who else was hunting for something? What? Many years ago, I misplaced my wedding ring. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And during that year, how loving was your husband with regard to, with regard to that? Let's just get it out on the table. Uh, one more, one more. Anything you guys hunted for? One more thing. A cell phone. Okay. Can I make two observations? One is that the things you identified were really important, weren't they to you? If not no one else, they were really important. And second, if not found, there were probably bad consequences for those, okay? That's the notion of a hunt. Now, Dorothy was a hunter. You may not have ever considered her as a hunter, but she was a hunter. Daily she hunted. Daily she hunted for God. Daily she hunted for God and found him. Let me read just an illustration of that. Sherry and I, over the last weeks, have been going through her journals. I'm reading from her journal, April 29th, 2013. Listen to what Dorothy the Hunter says. My journey with my precious Lord and Savior Jesus has been a wonderful adventure. I go on a God hunt every day, and what a joy to see and feel his presence with me. One day, Sherry wanted to give me an early birthday gift to see the musical Oklahoma at the Lyric Opera. That's downtown. Now, consider Dorothy with her, uh, her uh, walker and all the encumbrances of a person who's 88. And she said to herself, oh, I'd love to do this, but it is so hard for me to take a train and then take a cab, and I'm not so sure I'm going to do that. And as she was bemoaning that fact, she picked up uh, a Bensonville Park District flyer who said, which said that on the day that Sherry wanted to take her to the Lyric Opera, they were having a field trip and a free bus downtown that was stopping at the Lyric Opera. Well, she writes, I discovered God. We went on the bus right to, uh, from Bensonville to the Lyric Opera, it dropped us off at the door of the playhouse. No walking, no train, no bus, no cab. God had it all planned. What love he has for me, exclamation point. And then she quoted her scripture. It's Psalm 74, and it's in the message. It's sort of a paraphrase, contemporary with regard to the word of God, but listen to what it says. Let those on the hunt for you sing and celebrate. Dorothy, the consummate, 
hunter. And so the question I have for myself and for you is, have you ever considered yourself a hunter for God, and what has that hunt looked like? Three things this morning. I'm gonna talk to you about what the Bible says about hunting. I'm gonna talk about how the Bible teaches us to hunt. And third, I'm gonna ask you how the hunt is going. First of all, what does the Bible say about hunting? The most interesting thing I first discovered when I was studying what the Bible said about hunting was this. Notwithstanding, one, that God is always present, I got scripture to support that, that the Holy Spirit dwells in the Christian, I got scripture to support that, that where two or more are gathered, Jesus is in their midst, I got scripture to support that, that notwithstanding you may be even in a very religious place, even a church, there is no guarantee that at any particular time you will experience God's presence. That stopped me in my tracks, that this is not something that is automatic. It needs to be explored. It needs to be explored because the Bible talks a lot about seeking. Tons of verses on seeking, searching, and hunting if you use Dorothy's vernacular. I learned there are priorities in hunting in the word of God. You could find scripture that says that you and I should hunt for wisdom. That's great, that's important. And you'll find verses in scripture that says that you should hunt for peace. And there are verses in the Bible that says that you should hunt for justice. All good stuff. But there is a priority in scripture that I don't want you to miss. There is something that's stated that is the number one priority in any hunting. And the number one priority in hunting in the word of God is nothing less than God himself. How do I know that? Consider with me Matthew 6, verse 33. Look at what it says. But seek what? What church? First. Well, what is first? Priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I wanted you to see how important and prioritized it is. Now, with that as a backdrop, let's look at the text for today. The text for today is found in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and the first part of 14. And let me set the context for you. The context of this particular verse or verses is dire circumstances. This is a Jewish prophet, Jeremiah, and he's talking to God's chosen people, but they're in a very, very bad space. They are in exile. You and I have never been in exile, but just think if, uh, if in the next week someone said, hey, to the two of you, I'm going to force you to move to a country in Africa. Just let's go. That's it. And you say to yourself, no problemo, I'm young. <laughs> Sharon, I'm going to get you in exile in Africa. And you say, Sure, God's there. But I'm saying to you, this is not the most comfortable space in the world for the Jews. And Jeremiah says the most amazing thing. Look at your text. God speaking through the prophet to people. And you will, you will what, church? Seek me. And you will what? Find me. Do you see the hunt? The hunt is there. It is so clear, it's right in front of our face when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be what? Found by you, 
declares the Lord. Now, I want you to notice the promise. You see the promise? The promise is there, and it's twice. Don't miss the second aspect of the promise. The first promise is all about us doing seeking, and that's good, and we're going to find him. That's, that, that's us doing stuff. But notice the switch to the pronouns. The second promise is more personal, more intimate. It is God saying, I, Jehovah, think of that. Jehovah is saying to these people, I will be found by you. Do you see the difference? There's a double promise. It's the same promise, but it's as intimate as it can possibly be. There's a New Testament passage I want to share with you to package this, to give you some more concept about hunting. It's found in Acts. Here's the context. It's Acts 17, 26 through 27. And the context is totally different. Now we're not talking about people that are in exile. We're talking about different people. There's this apostle Paul who is a Christian who finds himself in Athens. And in Athens, he's talking to people. And these people are not in exile. They're in a very comfortable place. And you know what? They're actually living in the city Athens, which, according to commentators, was the cultural and learning center of the world. Exile, good space. But the same topic is addressed. And Paul, in talking to these people about their gods and the living God, says a very interesting thing. He says in Acts 17, 26 and 27, that mankind, that, that all people, should seek God. There's the concept of hunting again. But notice what he says. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And then the most remarkable thing. Yet, he is actually not far from each of us. Notice, it's the same exhortation about hunting and finding, but do you see the difference? There's no certainty in this one. You see the word perhaps? That doesn't mean it will necessarily happen. And, and the language here, perhaps they will feel their way. One translation says groping. Have you ever been in a dark room trying to get from point A to point B? And you're groping, aren't you? You don't want to knock into any furniture or anything like that. And possibly you'll find your way without banging into something. Do you see the difference? So take these two verses together, the verse in the Old Testament and the verse in the New Testament, and let's reflect just for a minute about God's presence and his reality for mankind. Paul Tripp, a Christian writer, sums it up this way. He says, we are hardwired to enjoy eternal fellowship with God in heaven. You all knew that, but listen, and here on earth. We are hardwired. It's the way we are made. It is in our basic DNA for eternal fellowship with God here on earth. So what can I conclude from these two verses if I put them together? One, God can be found. God is in every circumstance and location. God is not far away, he's accessible. God is for everyone, but he is not found by all, even if searched for. Consider that with regard to what the Bible says about hunting. And you know what Dorothy's text and motto was? Remember I said it earlier. Her text was Psalm 74. Let those on the hunt 
for you sing and celebrate. Can you just envision Dorothy saying, Brent, 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 you can't believe what happened today. And I said, no, I can't, Dorothy. Coming from you, I don't know what's going to happen here. And she'd say, I went on a hunt and boom, here's what happened. She sang about her hunts and she celebrated her discovery. How about you? In addition to the Bible talking about hunting in general, it teaches us how to hunt. If you went to the dictionary, uh, I go to the dictionary from time to time just to see what a word means. That word hunt is defined as to search eagerly or carefully for. And what I want to do is, I want to try to make this applicable to you, and what I want you to find yourself is on a spectrum. From, from something that is farthest away from the mark to red hot, right on target with regard to some of these concepts. And there are two. Is your hunt one of eagerness? And is your hunt one that is careful? You with me? So stay with me and let's see how we can define that. I'm gonna define the spectrum. Far be it for me to tell you where you're at on the spectrum, but find yourself and always ask God, move me closer to the target. Eagerly, on the spectrum, on one end of the spectrum where we don't want to be, the worst spot that I could find in scripture was, other than hell, was in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know the story. They ate the apple, Adam and Eve. Uh, pastors taught to us about Genesis and whatnot. And uh, now there's some consequences of that and they find themselves in the garden. And scripture says that God came down in some fashion and wanted to encounter them. Remember, we're hardwired for eternal fellowship with him. And Genesis 3.8 says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Do you, do you sense how close they are? This hunt shouldn't go on long. This hunt should be successful. Read on. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. You want to know what the end of the spectrum is, is where we should not be in our hunting? Hiding from God. And I know what your initial reaction is, as it was mine. Never hid from God. But stop. But stop. Have there not been times in your life when you have hid from God? Oh, it may have been subtle. Nobody knew. For me and you, aren't there those times well, I don't want to be on that end of the spectrum, so let's move on closer toward red hot and let me give you something farther along the way. Come with me to Jesus' letters to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation. And one of them was to the church of Laodicea. And he's always writing to these churches in two ways. First of all, he's saying, I really want to affirm you about something. It's good, rejoice in that. But he also balances that message by saying, you know, I do have some bone to pick with you. I do have something that's challenging me about you. I do have something that you need to consider. And look what he says to the church at Laodicea. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are what, church? Lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now see, we're not talking about hiding anymore. We're certainly not hiding from God. But our hunt 
is characterized as lukewarm. And notice what Jesus says. I've always struggled with this. The fact that God would spit someone out of his mouth sounds to me awkward, sounds to me distasteful. It's not the first thing I think about with regard to God. One of the commentators helped me with that, and it's a geography lesson. There was a river that was very close to Laodicea. The river was called the Lycus River, and it was five miles uh, away from the city. And in those days, the waters were carried by aqueduct to the cities, and uh, the commentator said that the waters of the Lycus River were muddy and undrinkable, and the waters uh, that flowed eventually into the city uh, were lukewarm. Now think with me for a second. Cold is good. Cold is good water. Were you out yesterday in this 90 plus degree weather? And if you were doing something and sweating your brains out, wouldn't it have been great for you to come in and get something tall and cool and drink it? Cold is good. On the other hand, think about when you've had a physically demanding day. Every bone is aching, every muscle is aching. And at the end of the day, you get to take that hot shower. Isn't that soothing? Hot and cold are good. Lukewarm is not. And what does Jesus say about lukewarm? It is repugnant to him. I'm choosing my words carefully. So if you're hunting God, I'm not hiding, but your hunt is lukewarm, just be on gauge that maybe you and I aren't where we need to be with regard to hunting. So what is at the other end of the spectrum with regard to eagerly? It's about a deer. Come with me to Psalm, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants or longs for the water brooks, so my soul pants and longs for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Do you see the intensity? Do you see the fervor? Do you see the emotion, the eagerness in this proclamation? Panting. Now, I don't, I've never talked to a panting deer, but if I could, I'd say, how's it going? And, and the deer would say, you moron, I'm panting. You know, come on, it's so obvious. And if that's not enough, do you see the word thirst in there? And if that's not enough, that last phrase, when shall I come and appear before God? Um, I don't know what the psalmist's mental and emotional framework were, but I'm thinking, when, God, are you going to show up? You see that? And so I would encourage you when you're thinking about your hunting, ask yourself, is it eager? There's a second component in addition to eagerness that I said was in the definition. And that is careful. I'm thinking that one of the most important things is that, oh, I'm sorry, before I get that, there is another component. Um, there's going to be a slide on that after this one. Forgive me. Go to the next slide. Yeah, in this eagerness, here's another component of it. Forgive me that I was out of key. It's value. If you are searching for a pencil, 
what kind of fervor do you bring to the hunt? Eh, there's pencils everywhere. I'll, if I don't get it, I'll get another one. But if you're hunting for something like keys to a rental car or a wedding band, is there not more intensity and eagerness? Jesus understood that and he's trying to teach about the kingdom of heaven. And he gives some parables with regard to the kingdom of heaven. Look at what he says. He captures the notion of hunting with value. Listen to what he says. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden. That's a clue that we're talking hunting in the field, which a man found. You see, we're talking about hunting. And he hid that. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. This hunt was extremely important to him that he went and sold all that he had. The hunt was very, very important. Jesus wondering whether they got it, tried again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking. There's the notion of hunting. And finding, there's the notion of hunting, one pearl of great value. And he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Eagerness is reflected in panting and great thirst. And eagerness is reflected in knowing how valuable it is, the thing that you are seeking. Second word is careful. Let's talk about careful. And again, I just want to paint the spectrum. I want you to find yourself on the spectrum and move this way. One tick. Oh, Satan would say, you hypocrite. You're here. God wants you there. Just go home. You got nothing to bring to the table or the world. But if you're moving even so slowly this way, that's what God desires. That's sanctification. So let's take the spectrum of careful hunting. What's at this end? Have you ever been searching for something that is right in front of you and you haven't found it? Now, am I alone or can you identify with this? So let me just illustrate it out of confession. It happens all the time. I attribute it to age. But you might not have that excuse, but it still happens to you. I'm at a restaurant ready to dig into a burger, and I look up at that waitress and I say, and uh, could I have some ketchup and mustard? And she pauses for a second, and then she reaches over the table right in front of me and takes the mustard and ketchup and puts it just ever so closer to me. <laughs> I feel like an absolute buffoon. But, but hasn't that been true? You've hunted for something? I've heard stories of people that have hunted for their glasses that have been on their head. I would never project that on any of you, but I've heard of that particular story. So that's what, at one end of the spectrum, is, is someone who is so careless, it's right in front of them, and they don't see it. I bet you Jesus from time to time went like this. He's with the disciples. Philip says, hey, uh, just give us a clue, show us. I'm here, right in front of you. You see what I'm talking about? Now, let's move up the spectrum a little bit closer to white hot. Let's look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees were extremely careful with regard to the word of God. They were so careful that they freaked out over what are called jots and tittles. Uh, little, little, little markings in the translation, jots and tittles, and yet they prided themselves on all of those. 
But if you study what Jesus said about the Pharisees, you go to Matthew uh, and you see um, that in Matthew 23, he has this blast, this condemnation, this criticism, this indictment of the Pharisees. And in just a matter of 10, 15 verses, no less than eight times he says to the Pharisees who were carefully studying the word of God, woe to you. There's a clue that they were missing the mark. Eight times. And if that wasn't enough, in that same passage, five different times he says, you're blind. What kind of hunter is blind? And how effective will he or she be? If that wasn't enough, he said to the Jews on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, you guys hold these Pharisees up in high esteem. They're the, they're the legal eagles and they know the word of God. He says, but if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, this kingdom of God thing is gonna be challenging for you. So we've got right in front of your face that you're missing. You got the Pharisees that are moving a little bit closer. So what is right on spot with regard to careful hunting? It's found in the text of our passage. Look at it again. And you will seek me and find me. Look what it says. When you search for me, how church? With your whole heart. Now, I can't begin to explain for you what that should mean to you, but when it talks about the heart, it's not talking about a physical organ. It's talking about all of you, your desires, your thoughts, your emotions, who you are, the way you were created. And he's saying, you will find me when you search with me with all your heart. Did you know that uh, hunters look for clues? I may be dating myself, but uh, the greatest detective in fiction, to my knowledge, was Sherlock Holmes. Have you heard of Sherlock Holmes? Uh, do they have Sherlock Holmes in Canada? Great, okay. <laughs> Let the record reflect that Sherlock Holmes is English. Okay. In any event, um, when, you, when you think about him and you see all these uh, uh, silhouettes and whatnot, there are two things that stand out about Sherlock Holmes. Uh, one is, you, you see this goofy clothing. He always wore this uh, cape uh, and he wore this stupid hat that had two bills. You know what I'm talking about? Can you visualize him? But there was another thing that was ingrained in his image and it was something that he held in his hand. Do you know what he held in his hand in many of these pictures? In this hand, he held a pipe. <laughs> God bless you. And you know what? I love the challenge. <laughs> Let's see, smoking a pipe and hunting. Yeah, <laughs> what's the thing? <laughs> I love you. I love you. What's the thing? Not a microphone. A Not a micro. A magnifying glass. And why did he hold a magnifying glass? Because it would help his sight and it would help him see better. And what was he looking for? He was looking for clues. Did you know that scripture teaches that there's clues all around? And what I want to do is I want to go over nine different clues very quickly. And all I want you to do is consider them. And you may say, got that one, got that one, 
got that one, but I want you to find at least one of these nine clues that you've maybe forgotten about, maybe neglected, or maybe ignored, or maybe never even understood. Just find one. Let me go through them real quickly. Clue number one, the Bible. When the Bible says that every word is inspired by God, do you think that might help you find God and experience his presence? Of course. How about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, not that he is dwelling in a Christian, but that he is controlling. That's something different. Not every Christian who has the Spirit in them is necessarily controlled by the Spirit. That's why Ephesians 5.18 is written. But a controlled Christian by the Holy Spirit finds that the Holy Spirit is a helper, teacher, and guide. Might that not be a clue with regard to finding God? All right, I'm with you. I got those two. Keep going. Corporate worship. I love Hebrews, I'm sorry, I love Psalm 122.1, which says, I was so glad when they said, let's go into the courts of the Lord. I hope you came this morning seeking intentionally to encounter God, not just occupying a chair. Romans, Hebrews, there are passages that say this is a really good deal to assemble together, to encourage each other, to point ourselves toward God. Okay, I got that one too. Keep going, Brent. Your quiet time. Let me meddle. You most have it. Many of you have a ritual that you go through or read something or pray a little bit and then I check it off. Your devotional life is a doorway to the presence of God. How do I know that? Hebrews 4.16 says, therefore, because we have this priest, Jesus Christ, who has done incredible things, because of that, let us confidently, note the word, confidently, not fearfully, not perhaps maybe to encounter him, confidently approach the throne of grace in time of need that we might find mercy and grace. Every morning, I feel a need to visualize myself outside of a gigantic throne room. Uh, for you old people, think of Cecil B. DeMille and the Ten Commandments and that Pharaoh's throne room. And it was majesty and it was large and it was very, very intimidating. And think of yourself outside of it, knocking at the door wanting to enter. And I know because of what scripture says that that door will be opened as I utter the name Jesus. And that door opens wide and I walk in to the throne room of God because that's what scripture says I have the right to do. Try in your devotional life praising him more than petitioning him. God inhabits praise. Try thanking him for more stuff that moves your heart and your mind into an attention upon the one you seek. Try in your quiet time to pray and then be silent and allow him to come. What does he say in the verse before the text in Jeremiah? He says, look, pray. I'll listen. I'll come. Isn't that marvelous? That the God of the universe says, talk to me. I'll listen and I'll come. This next one is maybe one you didn't consider. 
You want to know a clue about how to find God's premise? Obedience. Huh? Yes. Blessed are the pure in heart. That's a beatitude. For they what? The cause and effect. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, I'm not sure of all the theological ramifications of that, but that is fairly clear. You be pure, obey what you know to be true, and you will experience God in a more meaningful way. Well, if that's not enough, in John, John records Jesus saying this, hey, you say you love me? If you really love me, obey me. And you know what will happen if you obey me? You can check this out. If you obey me, I and my Father will reveal ourselves, disclose ourselves to you. That sounds like finding him in the hunt. But it goes farther than that. It says not only will we reveal ourselves and disclose ourselves to you, but we will make our abode with you. Now, you know what an abode is? Abode is not something temporary. It's not a tent that you pitch. It is something permanent. So if you want a clue about finding God in your hunt, you just obey the next thing that God has convicted you to do. That's a clue. Sometimes we all forget. But there's more. Three more. Relationships. Haven't you discovered God's presence in a relationship with another person? Maybe it's someone who loves you. Maybe it's someone you're very close to. Have you ever discovered God maybe in a happenstance, a coincidental encounter with maybe even a stranger where you've experienced God in a relationship you weren't even expecting? He sometimes reveals himself in other people to you if you're just willing to listen and observe. How about Mary, Lazarus, and Martha? Last week, you that were here heard a sermon by Tim, and he got you to the Mary-Martha passage. Uh, I believe it's in Luke. And uh, there they were in the household. And Mary was leveraging the relationship with Jesus to experience God's premise. Because what does it say she was doing? Sitting at his feet, listening. Is it possible that God brings people into your lives so you can discover God. How about locations? This should be easy. Romans says that all of creation means that we should be held accountable for the evidence of God. And I don't know about you, do you have your favorite spot that you go to? It might be on a mountaintop, it might be a beautiful vista over a lake, it might be in the middle of a stream fly fishing. And you know what I'm talking about. You all have your places, and I'm saying, God may show up there. And last, and this is the most counterintuitive one, even when God is not expected, even when he's nowhere to be seen, if you're looking, you may be surprised. Come with me to the road of Emma to Emmaus. Here's two guys. Uh, they might have been Christ followers or at least Christ-interested people, and they're scratching their head. The crucifixion just occurred, and they're walking down this road, and they're scratching their head saying, I don't know, he was going to be the Messiah, and now he's crucified, and, and I don't have any clue as to how to make sense of all this. And what happens? 
boom, Jesus walking right next to them. Do they expect it? No. Did they recognize him to begin with? No. But eventually, the veil fell from their eyes and they knew it was him. So even when you're not expecting, no evidence in sight, beware. If you hunt, rejoice, you may find him. Well, what does the Bible say about hunting and how to hunt? Last, and the most important, how is the hunt going? Guess what, I'm gonna give you a spectrum. <laughs> here's one end of the spectrum, and here's another end of the spectrum. Find yourself. Don't make this a wasted half hour. Find yourself on these spectrums so that you can see how relevant God's word is and profitable for you and then do something in response. So let me paint the spectrum for you with regard to where you are as far as the hunt. Come with me to another church, Revelations. Jesus is now writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says the most sobering thing in his condemnation. He says, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. For some of you, for time to time, and maybe even now, you've just left the game. You're on the sidelines. Oh, you're a Christian. You're going to heaven. But for the moment, and you've got very logical, very emotionally sound reasons for just taking a break from the hunt. And Jesus is saying, why'd you leave the game? Get back in the game. What's the opposite of that? What's on this side of the spectrum for you? Someone in the New Testament said, hey, too many laws, Jesus. Would you just give me the greatest commandment? And what did he say the greatest commandment was? You know it. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and with what? all your soul and with what? All your mind and with what? All your strength. Notice, it is complete. There is nothing left. Everything is brought to the table. That's where the hunt should be. If, in fact, you love him that way, why would you not seek to find him moment by moment? So my question to you is, and you gotta answer this, not to me. You have to answer this to God. Where have you found him recently? Do you have an answer? You don't have to tell me. I'm irrelevant to the equation. But God has wired you for intimate fellowship with him, and it's fair for him to ask the question, are you hunting for me, and did you find me? If not, maybe check the clues. Circumstances, good circumstances, bad circumstances, caught by surprise, that's evidence of God's grace. Timing, last Wednesday, during a work day, did you find him? Did you search for him? Yesterday, a day of discretionary time for many of you, did you hunt for him? Did you find him? On any given Sunday, are you hunting for him? Are you finding him? Today, will you find him? Sobering revelation and realization for me. 
and I wouldn't project this on any of you, but this is what I'm sobered by. One, intentionality is the key. If I don't intentionally hunt for him, the hunt is not going as well as it should. And second, there's no guarantee on any given day, even though I'm saved, even though the Holy Spirit dwells in me, that I will encounter the living God. What an absolute tragedy if at any moment God is all around me, all around you, and you miss him. I love Hebrews 6, I'm sorry, Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says this, listen closely. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Okay, you all get that. But listen to the second part. For he who comes to God must believe not only that he is, but that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Dorothy, Dorothy Nelson, God bless her. She's just like us. She's a sinner saved by grace. But Dorothy was a great hunter, and she was always hunting for the ultimate object of life's hunt. And she found him often. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to engage in the hunt and be found by you? May it be on our hearts and minds And may we be as intentional about this as any other thing of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.